Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit, but what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma, to highlight its impacts, and most importantly, to help those who've lived through it to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults trying to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot and now you will too. But first, a trigger warning. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma, and suicide. If you don't think you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath, and come back another day. I'll be here. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and elders on all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold, and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and I'm committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. I pay my deep respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past and present and acknowledge all Aboriginal children, young people, families and staff who I provide services to now and in the future. I embrace and commit to the spirit of work and self-determination, empowerment and reconciliation. Welcome back to the Trauma Tales, everybody. I'm here today with Frankie. Hey, Frankie, how are you going? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. So let's just jump in. Tell me about a time you experienced trauma. Well, I've actually worked with trauma for 14 years now, which is probably half my life, almost. Almost. A bit under. (laughs) So I started young. I worked in a what was resi care then kind of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like it was a a pre-resi care program in a totally different state. But... um, I was 17, mm-hmm. so I was drinking at the pub with my colleagues and they were still putting reports on me because <coughs> I was 17. But um, so I ran a house. I was the overnight um, bitch, as they called me. I was the overnight bitch. And I had five young people in my house and I slept over every night from Sunday night through to Friday morning, every week. So that was my roster. That was my shifts. So that's where I started. Um, And then when I finished, I did lots of shit in the middle. Oh, sorry. Lots of stuff in the middle. It's okay. It's a podcast about trauma. I'm pretty sure we can swear. Right, good. Uh, Okay, so lots of um, shit in the middle. (laughs) And then when I finished or haven't finished or God knows where we're sitting with that, but um, 
when I last worked, I was back in a similar sort of raising program, but I was managing. Mm-hmm. So I had a team or a few teams um, and I ran a few homes and a few other things. Um, and that's where my trauma started, I guess. Yeah, tell me a bit about at it. At that last house. So um, firstly, the young people that I work with were six kids out and any day I would much prefer to hang out than have a real job. Or I guess it was a real job, <laughs> but I much preferred to, you know, hang out with the young people that I worked with rather than do all the the boss bitch stuff, the, you know, filling ships and making sure they don't spend too much money. Um, And a few things went down, but something that's really common but no one real talks about is when someone makes an allegation against you. Mm. So I had someone make an allegation. Um, Someone takes some really informal notes Um, And then they sent them to me thinking that I should read those informal notes that said a whole bunch of really awful things um, about me. And when I confronted, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, when you say allegation, allegation of what? Yeah, so there was a few things on there like, oh, it went from stupid to stupider, really. One thing on there was that I like girls. And apparently, was that a that, secret? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but nor is it an allegation. Like, no. Yeah. So you know, um, that was one of them. Um, another one was that I drive two hundred k's per hour, and I keep a spare change of tires in the back seat, just in case I, you know, bust a tire. Would that even fit? N- no. <laughs> I don't think some of those little cars go 200 k's an hour. Um, <laughs> nor have I been 200 k's an hour, especially not with kids in the car because, you know, that was my job, to be a boss and show others how to drive. Anyway, so there was a few things and it just went from stupid to stupider, but they were the informal notes. So someone went off to a meeting and pulled down what they thought was not good stuff. They then sent me the notes and I confronted them and went, yeah, look, none of it's good. If this was written about a staff member of mine, I would want it looked into. So instead of just bringing this up willy-nilly when we feel like getting rid of me, can you look into it now? About you? Yeah. And I went, So you've suggested to your employer that they investigate the allegations that were making that other people, staff or the kids? Well... It came from, like, a long, long distant thing. So, like, they weren't even clients. They weren't, they weren't, oh, I guess they were currently looked after by our service, but very, very far away from me. Had nothing to do with me for six months. Hmm. Yeah, it was really strange. So when it, just for clarification, when we're talking, the services we're talking about is for children in out-of-home care, um, and it's generally younger people, so teenagers who live in sort of a group accommodation situation, and I've worked in in residential care um, myself for a number of years. Um, And you're absolutely right. It's 
it's awesome. Like we get to go to work in jeans and cons and play basketball and actually do really awesome therapy and like really intensive stuff. And it's fantastic. I yeah. loved it. But those yeah. systems that operate around um, those programs can be really toxic. Yeah. And sure. um, a lot of those systems are really outdated and they're full of a lot of um, band-aids and and reactions to situations rather than responses to situations in my opinion and they're overseen by a lot of people who are administrative and and management based rather than experiential yeah for sure so how i look at it we are the last to be called in but the first to solve our problem we are the unpolished herds of community sector. <laughs> we, we look big, bad and ugly. Yeah. Uh, we do, you know, we're, we're rough and tough and we, you know, we, we don't look corporate. Um, we don't fit in corporate. We try, but things like when I said shit before um, pops out nearly every two words and the prim and proper don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. that's fair. So yeah. So off my own back, I didn't want this to circulate, become a big issue. Um, I knew that I was well clear. All of my notes were there. I hadn't seen any of these kids that had anything to do with this situation in a bloody long time, like six months. We're talking. Mm. Mm. Hadn't seen them since then. Um, so I went. You know what? I'll take a couple of weeks or a couple of days off, um, you sort out what this looks like and get back in touch with me. So I left on the Wednesday and two weeks later I got an email saying, you can't come back to work, you've been stood down. In that two weeks I'd rung, checked in, seen what's happening, because I'm currently using my own leave. Like I wasn't even technically stood down at this point. I was just like, you know what? You sort it out. If this was written about one of my staff members, I'd want it sorted out. Maybe naively thinking it would be done quickly because I put my hand up and went, this is pure crap. This isn't a formal process yet. It was purely an email sent from you to me. And I went, have a look through the system. There's no notes on this kid. They don't exist. Cheers. This episode of The Trauma Tales is brought to you by Dr. Olga Laval and Associates, award-winning providers of psychological services, including telehealth and phone consultations, empowering people to make meaningful changes to their lives. For more information, please go to www.olgalaval.com. You know, but like, you actually formalised the complaint made against you. I guess so. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want, the reason for me is, you know, I'm so open and honest, especially at work with that transparency of, you know, if you guys have to go through this process, I'm more than willing to chuck my hand up and go through this process too. Um I knew that I was free and clear from any contact with those kids for multiple months. So I honestly thought they'd just look through the system and go, calendar-wise, she's not even in the same pot. Yeah. 
you know. Um, let's have a look at the car. How many sets of tyres has it had? They're still brand new cars. They've had no extra set of tyres. Like pretty simple shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'll be back next week. Like I honestly thought maybe two weeks at the most, maybe. So a week and a half, two weeks later, I get this email saying you can't come to work and you can't speak to anyone. Now, really inconvenient because I actually live with someone that I work with. <coughs> and they were picked oh. up. Yeah. So the, the, a phone got picked up to them, not to me. So the email said, I've spoken to you, you stood down, you can't contact anyone and you can't attend the office. And I was like, yeah, right, this is getting heavy quickly. Um, but then the person who I live with got a phone call from someone pretty high up in the in the ladder and said, basically, if you speak to her, you will lose your job. Well, how was how that, that going to yeah. be a reality? Well, I did ask the question because I'm a bit of a smart ass. What, does, she, does, she, does she want to know what we're having for dinner? Or, like, does she want to know if I'm talking about work? Like, it's going to be pretty awkward when we both leave for work and I don't leave for work. You know, like, catch her, see you around. Where is where is she? Like, you know, it's real awkward. Anyway, so throughout this process I was starting to jack up a bit because I, I want answers, you know. I, I requested this process. I wanted a fair but quick process because I knew it was stupid. Um, silly me, really. Um, I'm now 12 months into that. Holy shit. So just... Honestly, I'm two weeks out from from the anniversary day of saying I'll catch you in a couple of weeks. And what's happened? Like what's gone on? Yeah, so not a lot um, from their side. A um, couple of things that I thought would happen would be someone would check on me from the company. Uh, throughout the process, that's what policy and procedure says. Um, like I said, we're like the shiny or not so shiny turds, but I know how to read, so I read the policy. And the policy says, we will get in contact with you. It's our duty of care. You still work for us. Um, weeks went by, no contact. Months went by, no contact. So from 20-something of July, I left work. In October, I sent an email saying, is anyone going to ring me? What is happening here? Do I still have a job? What's the go, kids? Like, can someone pick up the phone? No one's spoken to me in those months at all. That's three months. Yeah. Yeah. And here I was thinking it would be a couple of weeks turnaround. So by October, I was getting pretty angry, um, pretty deflated by thinking I'd done the right thing. You know, if this was kid, a kid or my kid in care and a kid complained to me about, you know, someone driving 200 k's an hour or liking girls or however stupid, I'd want someone to look after my kid. Hmm. So I've, I've, you know, as much as I've gone, these are stupid things to say from whoever put them in, 
they're well within their right and kids do it all the time, families do it all the time, mm. services do it all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm not as much as probably throughout the process of putting curses on them. <laughs> no. I hope the bottoming shopping bag falls out or something stupid. <laughs> you know, just real inconvenient shit. Yeah. I don't want to ruin their life. Just just, you know, break eggs. Yeah, there you go. Just break eggs or your or your curry paste for tonight's dinner. I just hope that smashes and you have to replace it. <laughs> so, you know, um, my friend used the term virtual bit, uh, the virtual bricks were thrown, you know, just from here, just through the internet. They probably will never hit them, but just throw a couple of virtual bricks and see where they land. What do these virtual bricks it. look like? I don't know. They could be bloody Donkey Kong barrels over your head for all I know. I don't know. <laughs> But I just, I honestly thought I was doing the right thing, being the right guy for the job. Um, So I had to walk away. The kids in my care in that house that I was currently looking at after, they don't know where I went. Mm. So the Wednesday I went in for a meeting and I never came back. My staff never heard from me again from that Wednesday. So I was actually supposed to return to work that night, I believe, and do the sleepover, and I just never showed up. So I can't talk to anyone. So I went home. No one knows anything. I literally have disappeared from these kids' lives, and I've looked after particularly one of them since they arrived at that house. So it wasn't short-term. And these are kids that, you know, they're not... They're not with us because their life is fine. No. We're the, by the, if they've gotten to us, we are the last stop. Yeah, absolutely. We are and the absolute last stop. And that's why it's always, you know, these the things that these young people have seen and experienced is just f- absolutely phenomenal. Like, People ask me, why do you like working with teenagers? And it was in these houses. It was working in resi, you know. That's right. And and you you are literally in the shit with them. I went to uni for like 12 years and I've never learnt more than sitting on the side of a road with a kid who's going to fucking stab me. Like... Yeah, that's right. That's right. You, you it's, learn. It's the pointy end shit. Yeah, that's oh, right. it so is. And these kids aren't there because their life is peachy and that they can no. cope and they've been through the absolute fucking worst and then they get us who, you know, we try to work with them and be therapeutic and we try to give them consistency and predictability and reliability and then if we're just plucked out of it for some reason, what does that totally. say to them? We've that's just right. abandoned and- them. And that just solidifies that for them. And I guess the biggest thing for me is, and I know that there's youth workers probably listening to this now, as steady and reliable as I wanted those youth workers on my team to be, I was mum and dad. I was aunt and uncle. I was grandma and grandpa. And I was the school teacher and the bloody doctor. And I was, as the manager for that home, those kids rang directly. They were like, oi, you know, this person's been a dickhead and you said we could have juice this morning. They can't. They said no juice. And I'm like, buy the fucking juice. I don't give a shit. See you later. You know, like it was 
if you put all the youth workers in a pile, there's 12 parents in one house and I'm the king or queen of that apex really, you know, what I say goes. So as much as they're the parents and I don't want to undercut them and all that sort of shit, the manager is that one consistent person, you know, Monday to Friday. If (laughs) Yeah, right, like it is Monday to Friday. No, it's it's seven days a week. Yeah, it is twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. You ring, I answer, and you know they use and abuse that for the first little while, and then they're like, "Nah, you know what? If I ring her, that means business." So they'll then tell everyone else to go fly kite. I'm I'm going to ring Frankie, and she's going to say, "We can have juice." Don't you ring her? The kids are like, "It's her weekend off." And you leave her the fuck alone. <laughs> yeah, so they do. They get protected. The, so they face. step in. Yeah, yep. that's it. And if I get there too early or for I'm there too late, the kids are like, you need to go home. You've been here too long, you know, all that sort of shit. So they look after us as much as I look after them. So for those kids, I just disappeared. And in COVID, our teams dwindled. Um, one of the kids had to get a test and... That took probably 78 hours (laughs) to try and convince them to go and get a test. Mm -hmm. So we were locked in together and I'm not a very good cook. So, you know, we had burnt toast and, you know, cereal. (laughs) That was looked after, don't get me wrong, but it was was slim pickings for our options. But it was was really just us bunkering down together and, and that's where the real relationship stuff happened. And I left quite soon after that so they were really attached and it was you know we we sorted out the house you know Mondays they put their shopping order in Tuesdays we all go shopping together you know we really had things moving and so that they could eventually leave my house because my house was so intense Hmm. for for looking after them you know we had people on the clock 24 hours a day to look after them so that's I guess that's what gets me but for me, I guess coming those few months later, I was still gutted for those kids. Mm. And I was angry for me, but I was angry for them. You know, I've been doing this for, for 14 years and the worst thing that you can possibly do is just pull someone out with not a word. Yeah. Because for them, that's another rejection or that's another... Another abandonment. Or she doesn't like us anymore or, yeah... And it's it's just shit. So I had that kind of sitting on me um, as well as my home life. Like that kind of took a tumble, I guess. You know, I was, initially I was getting up and, you know, trying to busy myself, mow the lawns or fucking, I don't know, I think I cleaned out the linen cupboard 500 times, ditch and towels like that were going out. Uh, you know, it's just... You know how you have holidays and then you have too much holidays? Uh, no. No, no. To be no, honest. Have you ever had that? No. Uh, all right. It's like kids oh, on school holidays. I was just going to say, is it like <laughs> the last couple of weeks of the summer holidays? Mm-hmm. In like year 10 mm-hmm. and 11, you're like, all right, this was great, uh, but I'm a bit done. Let's just get now. the school thing done. Yeah. Let's just get school done. I'm sitting here waiting to go back to leave in a couple of weeks. Let me just go back and do my stuff. 
that was me. Mm. So, um, you know, I was doing the jobs and then, you know, Netflix called a, a bit. <laughs> you know, let's, let's find Netflix. Um, I didn't live in a, in a town or a city, so to retreat to myself was real easy. You know, it was, it's half an hour to town. So if I ran out of milk, I ran out of milk, didn't really care. Um, if I didn't go into town or didn't see anyone for a week or two, that's kind of normal mm. or it became normal for me. Um, we had the luxury of moving house. We bought a house, moved a house. So I kind of then got a new project when I moved. I was like, yeah, cool. I can, you know, remodel a bathroom or paint a wall here or, I don't know, just move boxes from room to room, really, <laughs> pretending I was doing things. <laughs> but it was it was a bit like that for a while. It just kind of, you know, ticked on, ticked on. It got to Christmas, New Year, and I think I sent emails to the entire executive team. I think I had enough come Christmas, New Year. And at New Year's, I just went, you know, you're taking the piss. I'm overcoming back. This isn't fair on the kids. This isn't fair on me. Where am I sitting? Um, I still didn't have a, like I got an email saying you stood down. I got another one saying here's your, what we're actually accusing you of. And that came November, I think. They were hilarious. It was, it was the speeding one. They kept that one in. The she likes girls, they dropped that one because there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think even in there was me lining up my staff and like rating their asses from one to 10. Now, I don't know about you, but you know me pretty well. That does not sound like you at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've. Look, I'm that short to the ground. Like people's asses are that close to my face. They smell all damn day. I'm not going to line up my staff in front of children who have been put through the absolute bloody ringer and go, you know what, that's a 10 out of 10, kids. Like I'm just, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not, I wasn't around my staff long enough. To be honest, in COVID, I barely saw them because they were like, I'm opting out. I'm allowed to opt out for work. I didn't know what that was because I was a manager. <laughs> I'm allowed to opt out. So just some crazy things. Like I think there were only three points out of the 400 that I'd first been sent that actually stuck. Mm. Um, so I'd inquired, you know, I got this, you know, letter of rating people's asses. Um, and then come Christmas, New Year, I was like, you know, what's happening with this man? You know, where, where are we at? Um, and it was, oh, yeah, sorry. I actually went to HR at that point and I was like, where are we? You know, like policy says, ring me every week. I haven't had a phone call since October. Who's looking after me? Like I spent days on end looking after these kids, looking after my work, going above and beyond. Who's looking after me? Um, and I think it was around October I started thinking that way and then December, January when everyone's playing the, you know, life's all good, you know, summer holidays stuff. stuff. Um, I guess my family was around more and I was kind of like, 
I was running out of things to say. You know, why aren't you at work? Oh, um, I don't know. You know, I was running out of the excuses because they'd seen me or not seen me for so long because they're like, oh, she's at work. She's doing 200 hours this week or we've stopped counting in hours. We just haven't seen her in weeks. Yeah. So I was running out of the excuses for where I was or where I wasn't going. Um, and then also keeping it to myself. So I'd get invited places and I just wouldn't go. Um, I guess by this time too, people around the workplace were hitting me up on my personal number and they're like, what's going on? Like, where are you? Are you actually okay? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on here? Um, I guess I also declined pretty rapidly between that. I got real anxious around Christmas, New Year time because it was that I had to hold conversations and I haven't held conversations mm. since July. Mm. Like short of the grocery, you know, checkout cheap. Like I haven't, I haven't had to hold a conversation. Yeah. So sitting around having drinks going how's it's life in summer, I was like, yeah, not really. Let's mm. keep pretending or back to you. <laughs> you know, my, my common thing was like, all right, now back to you. Like works the same thing. So I guess that's kind of where I started getting caught out. Um, come Feb, I was pretty much dragged into my doctor's um, by my other half at that point and I was pretty much thrown down in a chair and I was I was I was pretty pretty down and out but you know my partner just went I don't know how much longer she can do this for she's I don't think she's moved all week but I didn't know that I had like no self-awareness by this point I was just doom and gloom and thundering around and you know everyone's dickhead and I didn't really want to talk to anyone so they would go out they'd see people and I'd just be like you know what leave me alone so by Feb it was getting to to that pointy edge and and I think for me putting so much into work you know I was I was everywhere I was like bloody herpes you know, I was in this state, I was in that state, you needed help, I was bloody there. Like, honestly, I felt like the bloody ringing, you know. I was I was across states, I was across houses, I was across bloody everything, like herpes. <laughs> and um, That's not how I would describe you, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I guess so. Like, I just, I went from so busy and needed to so isolated and it felt like everything I put on the line meant nothing for anyone. You know, all the 14 years that I'd put into this work and at the end of the day I just kept thinking of those kids going, they think I walked out on them. You know, and at the end of the day I'm like, how much damage is this causing to, to them because I know what it's done to me. Yeah. So... Come Feb, I was like, you know what, this isn't working. Um, 
I need some help. Well, I didn't say I need help. My partner said I needed help, but you know, whatever. Tomatoes, tomatoes. <laughs> I got help anyway. <laughs> um, and it kept deteriorating. You know, I was I was constantly seeing the doc. The doc was ringing me every week, going, "You're saying good." You know, where we're getting pretty scary here, and I'm like, "No, let's wait. Whatever." Netflix is calling. Catch up. Um, I'll take these meds, whatever. You know, if it makes you happy, I'll do whatever. See you later. I don't want to talk to you. I want to go back home and do the dive pretty much. So then it got to the point where my partner didn't feel safe anymore leaving me in the home. So they'd leave for work every day and they'd worry that... I would disappear or die from my own hand because it just got that bad. I just had nothing left, really. No fight, no self-worth, and no resolution. So, hey. And you were suicidal. Yeah, for sure. How long like, had you been thinking like that? If I'm honest, probably since. No, I was still fighting in October. I guess that Christmas year. I think when I was around other people. Yeah. And just going, yeah, this is ticking along for them and I've got no resolution. I did get cleared of everything in March and like all the accusations or whatever. I got cleared for that in March. And then the workplace just wanted me to go back to work the next day. What? Like, yeah, like these so two people will happened? ring you. Well, this is the thing. So these two people will ring you and you'll come back to work. So I got an email saying, you've been cleared, nothing's happened. I was like, no shit, you could So that was nine months at that point. So nine months sitting on the back bench going, everyone thinks I'm a criminal. And for me... I keep looking at, you know, you, you're innocent until proven guilty. And I felt like the worst criminal. And I have worked with some really not nice people and facilitated mm. the most beautiful of family times with people that, you know, really didn't deserve it. But in the benefit of their kid, I provided it like I knew they'd done nothing wrong. Yeah. So yeah. I just... I just felt like the scum of the earth. And then in March they said, you know, come back. Um, I rang HR at that point and went, I'm not speaking with those two people. They've treated me like absolute horseshit throughout the nine months. And in that time collectively from all the people that should have called me, I had seven phone calls in nine months to check on me. Mm-hmm. So that was then um i got the the email saying you know come back to work i engaged with hr and that gave me a couple of breathing weeks you know i filtered from this person to that person to that person to that person they didn't do anything in a hurry um eventually i spoke to the head of hr i was on the phone for five minutes and they offered me a sum of money to walk away within five minutes so i've been on the back bench for nine nine months 
And within five minutes speaking to this idiot, they said, will you take this amount of cash to walk away? I said, absolutely not. I said, I need to think about it. I need to speak with my family. I need to see if that's enough because I never want to work in this industry again. In fact, if those kids were the last kids that I hurt by disappearing, I'm gutted for them, but I'm not doing it again. I'm not yeah. going through this process ever again. I never, ever, ever want to work with an underage client ever again. Um, and then it came to decision day. So they gave me seven days or something to see if that amount of money was enough. It wasn't. Um, in reality, it would have probably covered maybe the next month's worth of wages and that's it. And then I would have had to, I don't know, stack shelves at Woolies or something. I don't know. Um, and at that point, I couldn't string two words together. I didn't answer their phone call uh, for the decision. And again, my partner put me on the phone to the doc and the doc just said, no, I'm putting you off medically. You are fucked. Like at this point here, you can't even speak to me on the phone. You have no capacity to go anywhere, mate. You are done. And I went, yeah, all right. And I finally felt, I couldn't breathe until that point, but I was like, all right, I have a piece of paper for the next two weeks that says I don't have to make a decision for the next two weeks. And that was it. Um, down the line a little bit, I, that's when my partner was like, I can't keep safe from yourself. Um, pretty much every thought that I had was, do I have to do today? You know, do I? It would just be easier if he didn't wake up. I would just like to disappear. I would just like to have to never have another conversation. Um, and it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was really bad, actually. Um, you know, I got family and, and friends and, and heaps of people wanted to help, but I just didn't want it. I don't think. I think if my workplace didn't want to look after me, why was I worth anyone else's time? You know, they were paying me at that point. So I think for me it was why would people do it for free when then when they're paying me and they're not looking after me. Mm. So from that bad, <laughs> I ended up in a psych hospital. That was good times. So did you how close did you get? Um, yeah, pretty pretty close. I wasn't. Um, I had my keys confiscated from me, so I wasn't allowed to drive. Um, all medications were taken from the house every day if my partner left for the house. Um, if my partner was in the home and watching me and I said, I'm going to go for a haircut, they would physically drive me down to get a haircut, stay at the haircut and then drive me home. Um, I was 24 hour surveillance. So in fact, I turned around and was one of the kids that I was supposed to be looking after 12 months later, nine months later. Wow. So yeah, it was bad. And you went and to a psych ward for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How are they? <laughs> Fuck me, man. 
Um, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> 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 no, it was, um, I was fucking terrified, eh? Actually terrified. And I spent a lot of time in, in youth, public mental health mm-hmm. um, with kids, yeah. with my kids, you yeah. know, that I was looking after. And, you know, I just knew the feeling of when I took them in there and they were fucking terrified. And I said, I'll stay, you know? Yeah. Until until them nurses say you got to go, we're not pulling up a mattress for you, love. You, you know, I'm here. And um, for adults, it's not like that. No. Um, in COVID, it's really not like that. No. Um, I was dropped off with my gear. Um, medications had to be handed over. I met a doctor. They knew nothing about me and. Didn't really have the time. They had a waiting room full of people to admit. They just took my meds and went, righto, how tall are you? Not very. How much do you weigh? A few kegs of beer. Um, and, you know, and then I was dragged to a room with, and I wrote notes every day and it felt like I was writing a comedy, like just these people. And I'm like, wow, I've ended up here when... I could have run this hospital, but anyway, whatever. You'll be right. Um, they checked my bag, like opened it, went through everything, and I hadn't been that exposed my entire life. Mm-hmm. I've been that not trusted my entire life. I was the bag opener. I was the searcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was just incredible, like. It, it was incredible. I met all these nurses and they're like, you'll be right. They handed me a pee jar and they're like, oh, we just got a drug test here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck me, where the fuck am I? I was in a room, a shared room because, you know, that's exciting. <laughs> um, I had no natural light for the first three days at all. Didn't see a window. Um I was handed a wee jar and I was so lost that I walked out of my room with this pee jar and I was like, I just need to find the toilet. And the nurse was like, love, there's one in your room. And I'm like, well, cheers. You know, like there was no, here's the psych ward. <laughs> it's just... There's no tour. <laughs> there's no tour. Psych wards need a tour guide. And you know, like I write about it. It was the first time that I've written any notes in, you know, nine, 10, 11 months. And it was just a comedy. And I felt like I was on a fucking Star Wars mothership. All the corridors look the same. I've never seen Star Wars, but I'm guessing there's a ship. One of them can be a mothership. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it either. Yeah, I don't know. But everywhere I walked looked exactly the same. It does. Um, there was like, I don't know what you call them, but flannels or washers. Oh, like you know, a face like, washer, your flannel. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. yeah, that thing. All of them were hung over the tops of the doors. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Is that like there's people in there and the ones without mean no people in there? No, I eventually found out that when they check on you, 
400 times a night and shut mm-hmm. a fucking torch in your eyeball, that those flannels stopped the door from slamming. That took, go. that took way too many days for me to know that information. I was going to say, so I, I, I throw my um, dressing gown, like I hang it on the top of the door so the door doesn't slam maybe. So there oh, you go. We'll see. Same thing. Well, add that to the tour with a flag. Um, it would also be great, not that I want everyone to see my face, but a sticker of my face on the door. This is your room, idiot. Don't walk in anyone else's. Because <laughs> there's multiple hallways. There's multiple hallways. Do you know how many twos there are? There's like hundred twos. Anyway, um, for the first three days you fed on a tray and dinner is at 4.30 in the afternoon. The sun's still out, kids. Um, going from <laughs> drinking an excessive amount of beer and not getting up till 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> I was woken up at at six o'clock in the morning, like, hello, and I'm not a morning person, and uh, shoveled some shit on a plate that looked like it had been pre-regurgitated for me. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to record, you're not going to send this through, but, you know, it was just, it was just shit, like, and I was terrified, and the, the Terry didn't leave, so... You know, like when you're sharing a room, you don't really know the other person. Probably similar to like uni or even school camp, if that's where you were last in a room with someone else that you didn't know. Like it was just terrifying. Like I mm. didn't know because you have dinner at 4.30. So mm-hmm. you're like asleep by 6. Like what are you supposed to do? Yeah. My, my mate with the window went to sleep at 6.30 snoring and I was like, am I allowed to use the toilet? Like, do I just lay here? Do I say hello to the nurses that come in at midnight and put shit in my eye? Or do I just, I don't know. Like it was, yeah, it was really weird and terrifying for quite a few days. How long were you there for? Well, how long was I supposed to be there for? Or how long was I there for? <laughs> I was supposed to be there for three weeks. Um, on my very first day, I coiled that back to 19 days because I was like, what's the point of staying another weekend and leaving on a Monday? <laughs> Let's not do that. I'll leave on the Friday. Anyway, ended up leaving on the Wednesday. <laughs> I was like, I'm done, kids. I'm done. I'll, I'm, I'm used to my schedule. I'm eating tea at 5.30 now because I've, I've ordered Uber Eats because that shit is nasty. Um, yeah, so I did. Wait, did you order days. Uber Eats at a psych unit? Fuck yeah, I did. <laughs> and you know what? Well, I. And then out when the smokers got their smokers break to get my Uber Eats to go back inside. I was like, yeah, I'm smoking. I'm just waiting for the red Corolla there to deliver my sushi. Because I'm not having lamb that looks like came out of the nurse's arsehole. This episode of The Trauma Tales is brought to you by Cognitive Behavioural Education, providing training and supervision for people working with people who experience trauma.
If you work with people, you know how challenging it can be sometimes and how you can end up having the wrong end of someone's day or having to deal with their trauma. CBE's training and supervision services can upskill and support you and your team to manage, de-escalate and thrive in these situations. For more information, go to www.cbe.net.au. Oh my God, you ordered Uber Eats to a psych ward. That's amazing. Yeah, probably more times than we need to discuss. <laughs> I, I ordered breakfast in, I ordered lunch in, I ordered dinner in. If I shop now, the shopping in the psych ward was off the Richter because there's nothing else to do. No, that's Sit true. there and talk about your feelings. No, thank you. I haven't spoken to anyone in quite a few times, like quite a long time. <laughs> so you got out. How, how are you doing now? You've renegade. Um, well, yeah. What are you doing today. now? Well, I've started a new career mm-hmm. that my parents are really not happy with. Because <laughs> uh, I went to uni and I, as much as I was a, you know, youth worker, that's, you know, what did I call the unpolished turd before? Well, now I'm worse. Um, now I'm tattooing now. I've started an apprenticeship in COVID and I've opened my own shop in tattooing. And what is it called? It is called Trauma Tats. And it's super fucking cool. And what are you going to tattoo on me? Your logo. When I eventually get to see you again in human form. In human form, yeah. So, yeah, you can you can tattoo the Trauma Tales logo onto me. Yeah, to go with, no, I, I do it's... have lots of tattoos, so it's not going to be new. But it's definitely no. something to do together. It's an activity. Yeah, no, it'll be seen. It'll be seen. But yeah, it's um I've always drawn and I guess it was something that I kind of left behind in high school and just started to you know doodling in uni because I was born shitless. Um and yeah, here we are. Yeah, wow. Yeah. In my studio. You're in my studio. I am. I can see yeah. the bed and I can see the drawings and stuff. It looks really cool. I can't wait till we're out of COVID and we can um, yeah, we're allowed to leave our houses again. Thank you so, so much, Frankie. That was a wild ride. Um, I've never, <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever made the cycle sound so funny before. <sighs> you are welcome. Amazing. I'll Thanks, come back babe. on and I will read my, my daily journals of the adventures of the cycle. I would love that. That would be great. <laughs> you would. No one else would. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Bye. No worries. Thank you for joining me today on The Trauma Tales. Now is a good time to go and do some self-care, especially if this tale resonated for you. If you'd like to reach out to The Trauma Tales to be a sponsor of the show or to come onto the show, please email The Trauma Tales, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Shanna White Psychology.